0: Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. Well, if uh, if you haven't been here in a while, or if you have been here before, have not been here before, this is a great day to be here because we're starting a brand new series called Ground Rules. And a lot of people ask me, they say, well, Chad, how you know, how do your sermons come along? Do you like, do you wait until like Saturday night and like the heat of the moment and you're like sweating bullets and all of a sudden you're like, you're just scouring through the Bible to see what it is. And uh, by the way, if you, you probably don't know me that well, if you think that's the way that sermons come, because I would straight freak out. Okay. That's not the way for me. Works for some people, but I would freak out if that was the way. And so I just want to tell you how this sermon came about. Really, this whole series came about. This has been like the little series that could. This has been in the sermon incubator, you know, incubator for about three years. And it's just been like coaching her along. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. You know, and I wrote it in my little, my little preaching journal that I have. And these points, these actually came from uh, my own personal reading. And it was absolutely clear to me when I read through this. And, and we're going to see that there all total, there are 12 ground rules. And out of my reading, I just want to share with you, or share with you, almost like I was, I want to share with you, almost like I was from New York, all my New Yorkers. Um, I want to share with you what God has revealed to me personally. And so today is our first installment. There are two more after this, and there are a total of 12 ground rules. And I believe that if you were to take and apply these 12 ground rules to, to all of your relationships, your marriage, into the way that you raise your kids and to the way that you you love your mom and dad and the way that mom and dad, the way that you love your kids and coworkers and boss. If you use some of these, you may actually get a raise, okay? You might. You never know. But unless you're self-employed and then you're going to stay broke. Anyway, so, but if you were to use these principles, I know without a doubt that your life would be better. I know it. I know it. Um, before we jump into into the actual uh, uh, into the word itself, which is going to be in the book of Romans, chapter twelve, verse nine, is where we're going to start. It's in the New Testament. Um, I'll give you a chance to dig in there. But in the course of uh, in the course of your your discovery, if if for some reason you don't have your Bible, you forgot your Bible, we actually have spread some Bibles out amongst the seats. We're absolutely cool with using a smartphone, a tablet, you know, if you're fortunate to have an iPad, whatever it takes for you to get into the Bible and to read it. It works for us, and we want you to be there. But yesterday, I had, I had a great opportunity to go to Six Flags. Now, I'm happy to tell you that I went to Six Flags, A, because I'm alive, OK, because I went and I actually I ride rides when I go to Six Flags and I go and, you know, it's one of those things. I can't be one of those guys who just sits and like puts my kids on the ride and says, OK, I'll see you in a couple minutes. Or it's actually an hour. If it was like yesterday, every ride lasts about an hour. Wait, you know, so we're like sitting there. I'm like, I've got to be there. Even if I don't want to be there, I've got to be there. So I'm alive. I have survived Superman. Have you ever seen Superman? That is the most incredible ride of all time. It's not like a normal roller coaster where you just get on there and you sit and you have your little strap and your little deal, and you, you actually go like this, like you're actually flying, which is a whole other experience. Part of my stomach is still on the ride, maybe, maybe they'll send it to me later, I don't know, but it, it was an incredible experience, and and I love Six Flags, we were actually there because my daughter was in a singing competition, um, so we got to spend two days up and around Atlanta, and actually, she won first place. Not not a personal. It was her. It was her whole. Um, it was her whole team. Her, you know, her whole choir basically won the singing competition. So I just want you to know, AJ, she's gunning for your job. Okay, just so you know. Couple years. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Um, start looking. I guess. I don't know. She's kind of got the inside track, being you know she's my daughter and stuff. Um, I love you. Just. Yeah, you know, but we were there and had an amazing time. We went on all the roller coasters and all these things. We went on this thing called the Acropolis, which I think is 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 Greek for. I hope you brought an extra pair of shorts. Um, it's one of those things you like go up a couple hundred feet in the air and then they just drop you, so you get the whole free fall experience as if you wanted that, right? So you kind of drop down. It was incredible. Had all of these things or all of these these events, and t- you know just roller coasters and all this, and even this morning I was sitting back and I was thinking about the best way to kind of, to share with you the importance of what we're going to learn today, and I've been wrestling with this and I've, I've had the points for this message like I've said for years, and I'm sitting here and I'm like, Lord, what is, what is the best way for you to illustrate this point to everybody else, and I, this is all I got, okay, this is what I'm coming up with, what he revealed to me. The reason why these ground rules are so important to you is because all of your relationships will be a roller coaster if you don't have something to guide you. All of your, roller, all of your relationships will be roller coasters. There will be ups, there will be downs. And we are all frail relationally. One way or the other, if you th- have thought about it or not, you have brought your relational baggage from one relationship into the other every relationship maybe for you you've just had some you've had somebody that has absolutely done you wrong maybe you call that person ex-husband ex-wife maybe you call them friend coworker maybe it's your boss maybe it's your mother-in-law but we've all had somebody who has who has brought us relationally to our knees and if we don't have some ground rules in our life to kind of base all of our relationships off of, then what we will do is we will inevitably bring everybody else on that relation roller coaster too. So as we jump into the word, I just want to I want to challenge you with this, uh, with these four points today. But they're not difficult. They're not difficult to understand. They're difficult to apply. And many times when, when we look at the Bible and things seem so simple in our mind, they become so complex to actually live out. And if you're one of those people like, man, I just wanted to, I wanted to come today. I just wanted to have my mind like, all stimulated. I just want to get smarter today. This probably isn't for you because the four uh, ground rules for this week and the next two weeks after this are so simplistic, and yet it will take the rest of your life to live them out. It really will. The book of Romans is a unique book, just to give you some sort of context. It's a very unique book. It is, it's written to a group of believers, so it's written with believers in mind. So if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, this doesn't necessarily pertain to you. And you can kind of pick and choose what you want to believe or not. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you're accountable to all of these ground rules. In the book of Romans, it, it wasn't written to a church that was like all messed up. It isn't like it was a bunch of people who were just like going squarely, doing their own thing. And then Paul's like, oh, here we go again, you people. You know, and he's writing these things down and he sends this letter. It's not. He, he wrote this down. It's a very theological book, especially early in this book. But in chapter 12, there's a transition. And the text that he jumps into become principles... Guidelines, rules, to govern all relationships. And if you're a Christian, you're accountable. Let's read. Romans 12, verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need and practice hospitality. We're going to be camping out in this text for the next three weeks. But the principles for today are starting with this one. We must love sincerely... If you're a Christian, now this word love is not, a, it's not just a normal word. By, by love, we, we use the word love to explain a bunch of different things. For instance, I, I, I brought an illustration. Um, Krispy Kreme donuts, right? I love Krispy Kreme donuts. Anybody else love Krispy Kremes? I have one donut. We can clap to Krispy Kremes. I love it. This right here, I firmly believe is God's grace to my taste buds right here. It really is. Um, I would I would like to share with everyone, but they're actually, a lot of them are gone. Um, but I have one left. Who would like one donut hole? Jeremy threw his hand up first, man. Here you go. Tear it up. Yes. Yes. I told you there was one. I wasn't kidding. You're just going to make sure? I'm a preacher, man. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm on stage, I got people listening. Come on, D. We need to talk, but we have to love sincerely. Now, this idea of love, we, we water that down in so many ways. We say, oh, I love my wife. I love my girlfriend. I love whatever, the Braves. I don't know who would do that, but love the Braves. I love Krispy creams. Even some people are probably weird and say they love Hot Pockets, which I don't even know if that's possible, but maybe some of you say, I love Hot Pockets. I like lava, too. I just like it in a volcano. You know what I mean? It's like we have all these things, and we use this word love to explain a bunch of different things, but this usage of the word Love is different. The word love here is a specific love that only Christians can know. If you're, not, if you're not a Christian, you have not experienced this love because this love is felt in like a John 3.16 love, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. It's that kind of love and understanding that the basis of who we are as followers of Jesus goes back to this, this so profound meaning of love, this, this, this love that should compel us. Not that we would just receive it, but that we would extend it. But just going with the text, we have to do it sincerely. This word, the agape love, it's talked about in churches a lot. Some other things, uh, just to, to help us in understanding. This is... This not only is the attitude of the Father, God the Father, towards humanity, but it's also to show the nature of God. 1 John 1.8 says that God is love. So the very nature of God is love. So when, when God the Father sent God the Son, Jesus, to die on the cross, to shed blood on the cross on our behalf, it was His way of saying, I love you this much. I love you this much. And as the blood was shed and and dripped off of Jesus' broken body, it was done because He loves us. And that love, if if you're a follower of Jesus, and just that picture, and you've received the Father's love, it should compel us to do some other things. It should compel us to do some other things. I want to share this with you also. This is not... This is a total bonus. This is not on the screen. 1 Corinthians 16, 14 says, do everything in love. Do everything in love. Oh, but then but then so many times we we think, oh, do everything in love. So in essence, if it just makes it so vague that we don't do it, so we're going to get a little bit more personal, so you're not off the hook. 1 Thessalonians 3, 12 says this Make the Make the Lord or may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. Everyone else. So so that Greek word, that that self-sacrificing love, that, that profound love that only Christians have experienced, is not just to become just something that we would receive, but we also have to extend it. And we're told in 1 Thessalonians that that love has to extend to other believers and to other people. You see, it's easy to love people who look like us and talk like us, who have the same likes as us. But we're told, as followers of Jesus, I'm telling you, I keep saying followers of Jesus because we're accountable. As followers of Christ, we are Accountable and responsible to loving everyone. Even people that we see in outright sin, we're to love them. We're to love them to Jesus, not judge them to Jesus. Judging is not our responsibility. We're to love them to Jesus. And yet, it's so easy to love people who are easily loved, is it not? It really is. But we have a higher calling. We have to love sincerely. This is to show the nature of God, because God has love, our attitude toward others. And also we know from John 14:15, it is a way of proving that we are indeed followers of Christ. John 14:15 says this: "If you love me, you will obey what I command." So the way that the that the world is going to see you as followers of Jesus is the measure of love in your life, and i 'm not just talking about how well you love your wife that 's part of it or how well you know that you take care of your kids, but that's part of it it 's how well you love everyone. Are you quick to judge are you quick to love? Can you separate the sin from the sinner because we are all sinners. Some of us saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Some of us are just still in our sin. Our response, because the love of God, should be compassion towards them that are broken. It should be mercy, not judgment. Our hearts should be inclined to share the good news so they could receive the Father's love like Christians have received the Father's love. That's what we're supposed to do. So it's a way that the world will see us to be able to identify and say, wow, they obviously are followers of Jesus because look at the way they love. Look at the way they care for one another. Relationally, they have no boundaries. They love everyone. What's different about them? They've received the Father's love. Continuing on, verse 9, Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Well, how do we know what's good? I mean, honestly, how do we know what's good? How do we know what to cling to? I'll tell you what's good. The Word of God. The Word of God is good. It's valuable. This is what we cling to. This is the lifeblood of God. Of, of a Christian, to be able to stay connected with God, to know what it is that we're supposed to do, how are we supposed to love our wives, how are we supposed to develop our kids, how, how, what am I supposed to do, are the, am I supposed to do certain things and not do other things? Cling constantly to the Word of God. Because if we keep going back to the Word of God, then it refreshes us to know of the Father's love for us. And will compel us to share that love with other people. You can almost see as we keep going through this whole series that that all of these ground rules help develop agape love. So they all work together. We have to cling constantly. We have all suffered from, from relational damage. We have. Every one of us. Some of us are better at hiding it than others. And then some people are healed so they don't carry that baggage. They've, they've already put that baggage away. Early in life, I, I have to tell you, and just be honest with you, early in life, I was totally messed up when it came to this. Every relationship that, that I was in, I brought baggage from the brokenness that happened in my childhood, and I even brought it into my marriage. And early on in my marriage, as we were, you know, trying to figure things out, and, you know, we, like, I, went, I was in E1 when we got married, so, you know, we had, like, you know, macaroni and cheese and, like, sandwiches, and then we graduated to ramen, and then eventually, uh, you know, we really did, and then we eventually, like, graduated up to banquet meals. You know what I mean? It's like, wow. that was like banquet meals. There's gravy, too. It's awesome, you know? But all through that, the thing... I was trying to sift through all of my life's issues and everything that had happened and all the brokenness that had happened when I was a child. And I started to realize, you see, my parents divorced when I was four, but I started to realize that I had a lot of relational baggage, a lot of things that were on my shoulders that now I was bringing into my marriage. And Marla was totally ill-equipped to handle it. As a matter of fact, she didn't even know of all the baggage that I had. And it was not until I started to, to understand and after I received the Father's love that I realized she is not meant to handle all that baggage. As a follower of Jesus, the goal should for us is to leave that baggage at the cross and to let redemption happen. John Eldredge. In his book, Love and War, he said it this way. He says, there's no greater place for damage than in relationships because there's no greater place for God's glory than in redeeming them. He says, so, so if your life is jacked up, it's going to be jacked up relationally. Think about that. Process that. That's a lot of words. Allow it to soak in. There's no greater place for damage than in relationships because there's no greater place for God's glory than in redeeming them. Because God redeems people. Salvation happens here in people. And the way that that you are going to receive Jesus is most likely through the influence of people. So consequently, the the friction, the struggle that happens is right right in the context of relationships. And life is like so daily. You know what I mean? It's like it's like every day there's like something else. And every day, my kids get up, and they go to school. And every day, we get up, we go to work. And many times, we just, if we're like you, and I'll just speak for myself, not the rest of my family, it's so easy to get kind of distracted and just so focused on the events of the day instead of, The people along the way. And all of a sudden you'll start feeling this stress and all of these things. And before long, one thing that you'll realize is, and I hope that you realize, that all relationships on earth are in a battle. They're in a battle. And it's real. Satan wants to pull you away. He He wants to convince you that there's no battle at all he wants to convince you that you're okay because if there's no battle and you're okay then you can go out and just do your own thing and then you can be in charge but then all of a sudden the consequences for those actions comes in and now relationally there's struggles over and over and over we can't turn a blind eye and just like John Eldredge said in this quote, that there's no greater place for damage than in relationships because there's no greater place for God's glory than in redeeming them. Because He's redeeming hearts. He's bringing people back to Him. So we are to cling constantly. We are to love sincerely, taken right from the Word. Many of us, we've, we have these struggles, and maybe you, you have suffered some severe damage. Maybe it was damage like mine. Maybe there's a person right now in your mind where you sit back and there's this person, whether it's happened recently or whether it's happened 20 years ago, and you've just got this name etched in your mind and you're like, that person did me wrong. I just want you to know the only way that you're going to be able to be right in that relationship is if you're right in the relationship with Jesus. That's it. That's it. There's hope though. I want to share this with you. Zephaniah 3.17 says this, The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He's in your midst. If you're a follower of Jesus, He's here. His presence is real and He's here. Who's a mighty one. The mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. Over you and your life. He wants to rejoice over you. He's not here to scold you. He is, God is love. That's, his, that's the very nature of God from 1 John 4. The very nature of God is He is love and He's loving. And He's compassionate. And he's merciful. And He rejoices. He seeks to rejo- rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. And he will exult or rejoice over you with singing. But he will will quiet you by his love. He will quiet you with his love. He will quiet you with his love. The hostility that you have in your heart and your mind. He will quiet you with his love. And if you would go back to Jesus and you would let go of that brokenness, I'm not saying you have to have the answers to why it happened because you'll probably never get the answers. I'm not saying that you need to go through and you need to jump a bunch of hurdles. I'm telling you something that is so simple, but many of you won't do it because it's so simple. Give it to Jesus. I believe there's power in Scripture. There's power if we apply this and we we understand it intellectually, but also we allow it to soak into our hearts. We allow it to become who we are. And Zephaniah 3.17 says he will quiet you with his love. So, just when your heart is so anxious and you're so ready to not forgive and you're so ready to lash out in anger and all you want is ill for someone else and you want to talk bad about that person and all of the things there, just go back to Jesus and he will quiet you with his love. See, I picture it this way. When we go through and we think about all the hostility and all the things, all the things that people have done and all the wrongs that have been done to us. And we, if we just dwell on those things, it's just like it's starting to erupt, right? It's just, just bubbling right below the surface. But the way that we can squash that is just remember the cross. Remember the love that set Jesus' act, Jesus's actions in motion. Remember the love of the Father that He saw us in a desperate place, relationally frail, broken, no way to be back in relationship with him, no way to have right relationship with others, but He sent Jesus. And if we reflect, reflect upon excuse me, reflect upon the cross and what Jesus did for us, I believe it will compel us to spread that love to other people, but we have to cling constantly to the Word of God, to see who we are in Christ. Don't honor your emotions first. Honor the Word of God first and then let them either validate or invalidate your emotions. Another thing going right on down through the Scriptures, verse 10, it says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Brotherly love. It's a different type of love. This is more of a a friendship kind of love. And it says, Honor one another above yourselves. The third ground rule is to honor graciously. Honor graciously. You honor... There are many different ways to honor, but I'm just going to draw out three. You honor graciously with the words that you speak. There's power in words. We know this. It's almost cliché because we talk about it so much. Honor graciously. And in the way to honor a man... Is to honor his strength. If you have, if your husband you think is, is weak and he's not leading, your boyfriend is weak, he's not leading, he's just he seems like he's broken, honor his strength. Don't talk, don't talk him down. Don't don't tell of all the things that he does wrong because he already knows most of them. Honor him with words, build him up and see what he will do. Honor with words. With men, you honor a you honor your wife or another woman with her beauty. Because at the core of a woman, she, she doubts her beauty. That's the reason why nobody likes to look at their own picture at when when somebody they don't want to get their picture taken, they don't want to look at the picture, they, they want to look at everybody else's picture but not their own. Right? Am I right? It goes all the way back to Genesis three in the fall. When they hid in shame, it's because they're very part of the shame that is brought on a woman, I'm being serious when I tell you this, is they start to not believe that they have beauty before God. But if you, men of God, if you will honor your wife's beauty, she will soar and she will be vibrant and she will feel and she will know that she's loved. Another way that you can honor is by your actions. With your actions. I'll step out of the marriage realm, but think just in the context of your family. When's the last time that you've honored people in your family by just actions? Maybe it's a brother or sister. Maybe it's maybe it's even just a friend and, and you see them going through a hard time. Maybe their, their marriage is, is on the rocks too or whatever the case may be. When's the last time you honored them and just said, you know what, let me watch your kids for the night and I want you to go on a date. When's the last time you've done that? When's the last time that, that you've looked into someone else's life and you see, man, this man, their 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 situation is really messed up. When's the last time that you've engaged in someone else's life and just honored them with some actions? Maybe it's just somebody. Maybe it's even someone in this room or who's not here today, and you know they're going through a difficult time. How about we just honor them and maybe take them out to lunch and just give them a little bit of encouragement? We can honor them with words and actions. And let them know that it's okay. Jesus is on the throne. Amen? There's hope in Jesus. But it's an action. You can't honor silently. It takes action. It takes words. And then maybe some of you, because of the relational junk and baggage... Maybe you you have just been damaged in such a way where you've just closed everyone else off. And how about you just honor people with openness? Just honor people with openness. Because the person who, who inflicted all of that damage unto you, right, that person's real. But does everybody else deserve what you got? Does everybody else deserve what you got? Just because you got a bad deal, does that mean that now you have a license to go do that to everyone else? No. How about we honor graciously? We honor people and just honor them with openness, honor them with action, and honor people with words. Honorable words. Last thing is this. They're again, taken right from the text at the end of verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And I've just taken right from this, serve zealously. John MacArthur said it this way he, he, in, in the NASB. He says, just be fervent in spirit, which means to, to boil in spirit. It's just, it's just a constant. It's just a boiling over in spirit. It's just a constant thing. It's just always churning. It's always moving, always expanding. Are you somebody who just wants to be served? Are you someone who serves others? Maybe you're, you're that person who just thinks, you know what, I'm just going to go home, and when I go home, it's me time, and I'm going to go sit in a chair, and I'm going to click my fingers twice, and, and all of a sudden dinner's just going to, you know, you're going to have that banquet meal, whatever it is for you, and you just sit there and you just say, I don't know where this food comes from, but I'm so glad it's here. I would say you probably need to get off your butt and go serve someone else, right? Did I say that boldly? Good, I meant to. To serve zealously. The course of action that every Christian is meant to take is one of service, not to be served. I'll ask it a different way. Are you a giver or a taker? Are you a giver or a taker? And maybe you sit back and you're like, oh, of course I'm a giver okay if i were to ask your closest friend and your husband or wife would they say that you're a giver or a taker kind of changes things maybe but we're to serve. As Christians, we're supposed to serve. We're supposed to serve one another. We're supposed to serve in the context of marriage. We're supposed to serve our kids. We're supposed to serve our, our coworkers and, and, and our neighbors and our community and and seek ways to serve. At the core of Jesus, that's what he came to do to serve, not to be served. We need to be fervent in spirit, just the boiling over, boiling over, boiling over. And yet, we have a challenge. We can take all of these these relational struggles and all the things that we deal with, we can take all those things, and we can do three different things with them, probably many more, but I'll just give you three. We can allow our emotions to dictate every other relationship. We can just allow unforgiveness just to fester in our heart. Or we can just become selfish. That's what we can do. And oftentimes, you sit back and you would probably say, you know what, I'm not doing any of these things. It's like, I don't want these things, I'm not doing these things. But if we're hurt in such a way, this is where we go automatically. And the only way that we can be brought back around is if we have some sort of ground rules to follow to keep us on track. And it's like... When we allow unselfishness or just selfishness rather or unforgiveness or emotions to control us, it's kind of like building our house right at the base of a volcano. I read recently uh, of a story of something that happened in AD 79. And I've had the opportunity to see this from a distance a couple times from the Mediterranean Sea. And it is Mount Vesuvius. You're probably familiar with that term. It's interesting because Mount Vesuvius had, had the, the, the ground had started to shake before it erupted. And it started to shake, and it, it shook in such a way that there was a historian by the name of Pliny the Younger in AD seventy nine who was sitting back and he was near the city of Naples, Italy, and he 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 even wrote down of that the earth was shaking. But people ignored the warning signs. And the ground was shaking, and they just kept living the normal life, and they didn't change anything, they didn't leave, and they just stayed there. Until one day, it all came to a head, and it erupted. And the people were ignoring the warning signs of all of the things that were about to happen. And 11,000 people living at living at the base of Mount Vesuvius was dead either dead because of the lava or because of the ashes, because they were so close. And they didn't heed the warning signs. And they perished. If you allow unforgiveness to fester in your life, if you live your life where it's, it's all about you and you just let selfishness just to, to root in you, and you allow your emotions, your anger, your, your guilt, your shame, your fear, all these emotions, if you allow them to control you, you too will have a demise in relationships. You will. But there's hope in Christ. I'm gonna pray, and you know, there's only been there's been four points this morning. Four. There's going to be four next week and there's going to be four the week after that. And you know, it's not real complicated theology. You don't have to have a degree. You just have to be able to read or listen. Where the difficulty comes is doing what we're told with the word. So just at the very the very the very glimmer For you to just sit back and say, wow, you know, today's message, it was just, now, it was okay. I just want you to go back and just reflect upon even those four ground rules. To say, God, what is it that you want for me today? And I believe if you do, if you do the second ground rule, if you cling constantly to the Word of God, that you will reflect upon the Father's love and you will realize all of these ground rules are important And then we need need to not throw it off just because it seems so simplistic. But we need to dig in because it's so true.